2: Turn, up your, Turn up your volume, because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast,
0: the
2: with Tony Maradero.
0: 55 seconds left in the penalty, a minute, and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3, Lafleur. Coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it in to the mare, back to Le Flux. Oh!
2: The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. <laughs> you
0: know I, 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 you're in the ball! Oh!
2: Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoins, on lui fait perdre la rondelle, une passe devant. Et c'est le bon, et c'est le bon, et c'est le bon, et c'est le bon. Et c'est le pour les Canadiens. Le
1: fun
0: troisième de l'histoire. You found the dogs! John, You found the dogs!
2: And Lakage. If the last time you went to Lakage was when the Habs won the cup, it's time you went back to Lakage. It's going to be sick. Aaron
0: Arrow on this Wednesday, February 8th. It is one minute past uh, 10 o'clock uh, right here on the Sick Podcast. Welcome, welcome everyone who's watching on YouTube Live, watching on Facebook Live, watching on Twitter Live. We got a busy one lined up for you today. And, of course, the SICK Podcast is brought to you in part by La Bit à T.B. We talked to you about them a couple of days ago and finally introduced them yesterday, right? Brewed in Quebec, a winner of a dozen international awards. La Bête T.B. offers quality microbrewery beers made with premium ingredients for everyone's taste. La Bête T.B., embrace your true nature. Uh, I have a, a case of 12. As a matter of fact, I have a couple of cases of 12. Uh, thank you very much. Um to the Jaloso Beverage Group, and uh, this one here uh, with um, the orange stripe on top, or, you know, if you can see that, this one here is uh, 5%, and we have some that are a little bit more, which I'll introduce over the next couple of days. All right, okay, so I hope you're all doing well. It's also brought to you in part by Energy Transportation Group, a leading full service logistics provider serving all of North America, driven to be different and brought to you in part by Lacage. If the last time you went to Lacash was when the Habs won the cup, it's time you go back to Lacash because the menu will surprise you. Uh, I believe we have our guy George Larac is a regular every Thursday, but I'll tell you what happened here. Uh Marc-André Perot of TVA Sport who's a regular every Wednesday is actually doing a little bit of skiing in the United States of America. He took off last week. He actually gets back tonight, and he's probably getting back, uh, you know, a little bit later on tonight. So, um, you know, we've we've switched them. So, marc Andre Perot is going to go tomorrow. I asked George if he could come on tonight. He said yes. I think we have him. Let's get to him. If we do, there we go. There we go. On his favorite spot with his pillow <laughs> nearby. Naturally, what's going on? Hi, doing Tony? How's the sound? the sound is much better than it's ever been oh that's awesome thank you all right all right you're very welcome now uh i i i personally hand delivered a um a a mic to george today which um which is pretty awesome there you have it you see that okay that the Sick Podcast with Tony Marinero's Task Cam equipment is supplied by Ericsson Audio, the choice of musicians, engineers, and broadcast professionals. So basically, George, you're doing this on your, your iPhone, correct? Yes. There's a piece, there's an adapter that is connected to his iPhone. Okay. It works off of, uh, you know, I, I don't know, radio frequency or whatever it is, probably 2.4. And it connects with, you know, with that little um, box that George just showed you. Okay. And, you know, there's uh, there's a little mic that connects to that box, and it's clipped onto George's shirt. You can't see it at all. George, it's very, very good. All right, okay. Oh. So I'm glad we got you all figured out in terms of mic. There's two or three more collaborators. We're going to set them up with the mics as well, and then we're good to go. Uh, George, it's uh, it's a year anniversary for Marty St. Louis on the job. mid Jagger who's a former assistant coach out of the KHL or in the KHL last season. This year, he's helping out the women's uh Bay hockey team. He's going to join me probably in about 25 minutes time. And uh, we're going to pick up on this with him as well. But how do you see Marty St.
1: Louis one year anniversary? Okay. So it's very tough to assess after one year, what we could say about him because he has no pressure right now. You know, he's coming in a position where nobody expects the team to make the playoff. He's telling the young guys to have fun. If they make mistake, it's okay. And to be honest with you, there's even certain time where I thought he could have been harder on veteran. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because the games are not so important. They are important for the young guys, for the development. And they've been playing well. But at the end of the day, when you're looking at this team, he's learning, like, the ropes of being a coach in the NHL after one year. And, you know, Tony, it's going to be easier to judge him when he's going to have a team that should make the playoff. When you're a rookie coach, you come in with no expectation. It's really hard because any coach that would have been in this position, all your job is to get the young kids to play. and Deshaun was too defensive. It wasn't helping Caulfield. He couldn't score. Now you have a guy that was offensive all his career that is letting him go, go score, go have fun, develop, get his confidence back. But you know that when this team is going to be good, that's when we'll know how good Wee is. Because, you know, everybody said that they love him, all the young guys. Suzuki said he loved them. Of course, nobody's going to say otherwise when he's coaching them. But why would they hate him? So far, he's, he's given him ice time. He's given him a lot of confidence. They have no pressure. They're having fun. But, you know, Tony, in a tragic year like that, it's not the same thing playing for fun and playing to make the playoffs is two different things.
0: George, you know as well as I do that um, when players don't like a coach or they're sick of a coach's act, like you just said, they're not going to say anything on the record, but they will say stuff off the record. You know, I can't speak for you, but not one player, not one person from the organization has whispered in my ear, this guy's no good. This guy doesn't know what he's doing. We're sick and tired of his act, this, that, whatever. He doesn't know how to coach. Nothing like that. Nothing. I think it's unanimous that he has the respect of the locker room, whether you're a veteran, whether you're a rookie, whether you've been in the league for a couple of years, whether you're a fellow coach, whether you're part of the management team. Everyone has a lot of time for Marty St. Louis. And the one thing that sticks out to me more than anything else, George, he has it in his blood. I mean, we we read about earlier today, I saw this on social media, that in this week off, he went to watch his sons playing in a tournament. And he got there and he went right away behind the bench and he started coaching. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm on one week vacation, no matter where I am, I don't feel like picking up the microphone and doing my thing. You know what I mean? And I love my job. I mean, I'd like to enjoy my vacation as much as I can for this guy to get behind the bench. Even if we're talking about at a much lower level, as they say in French, yes said Saint George,
1: but Tony, again, it's a son. And, uh, you know, he was coaching his son before he's coaching the Canadians. So to you have to be back behind the bench for his son. is completely different. So, you know, I wouldn't call it a vacation. It's like, your son is with his busy schedule. They have with Canadian. You try to soak in as much time as you can with your kids. But Tony, again, I'm gonna go back to to this first year. Um, all the co- all the players like him, but again, he has not put any pressures on any players because they don't have to win. Think about it. He's in a perfect position to learn right now because it's okay. Why would guys hate him? He's letting him play. He's letting him have fun. He's letting him do mistakes, you know, and that's what you should do when you're in a transition year. So he hasn't been hard on anyone. He does like, it's you know, Tony, it's when a coach feels the pressure to 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 perform, when a coach feels the pressure to be in a playoff, that's when sometimes things get tense. And then you're going to see how oh, he's going to deal to adversity. Right now, there's no adversity. They could lose five games in a row and it's okay. You know, and and that's why it's like, yeah, they all like him. I'm not surprised. Most coaches that have been in that position would be well-liked too. But, you know, the future is going to, I can't wait. And and I have no doubt he's going to figure it out, even though he's learning through the ropes. But when, in a couple of years, when this team is going to have expectation, that's when we're going to really see what the type of coach he is.
0: What do you think, even though... The pressure is non-existent right now or very little. And the expectations are low. I'm, I want to talk about his strengths and his weaknesses.
1: And I want to start with his weaknesses. What do you think his weaknesses are? He, he he doesn't call out guys. He doesn't, the veteran guys, the guys that are sleeping. It's almost like because it's a year that is not not too important, he doesn't want to get any, any veteran guy maybe pissed off at him. So he's very careful, like how he reacts. Like he doesn't throw them under the bus. doesn't say anything in press conference, even though they, they haven't played well. He'll say, a lot of guys don't have it. He won't name names.
0: Yeah, but George, when is that ever a good idea? Calling out guys in the media. When is that ever a good idea? Tony, Sometimes
1: when it's always the same veteran guys, you have to do it. You have to send a message. But those are the guys they want to trade, George. Yeah, I understand. And I know you're 100% right. But when you're a coach, you're going to make guys accountable. You're going to make guys accountable, Tony, because if you want this guy to respond and to respect you, you have no choice. You have to show the other players that if you're not playing, I'm going to call you out. If you don't call people out, it's always the same people that are sleeping. Like, what does that say, Tony, to, to, to all the young kids? You know, like, it's okay if you have a bad game. You're gonna be, You're going to keep playing. It's okay if you don't have a better effort. It's okay because I want to help the management. I'm going to showcase this guy as much as I can. So we hope we get a second or first round pick for them. Come on. He asked me about his weakness. Is the fact that there's no accountability. He said in training camp that he's going to go with effort, right? The guys that are deserving in ice time. Maybe it doesn't come from him. Maybe the management is saying, listen, yeah, we have to showcase these guy. You have to play them. But again, that's why Tony, it's so hard to judge because he's in a position right now that with no expectation and with some veterans you have to showcase, does all the coaching decision comes to him or is imposed some of the veteran that, that has to play? It's hard to, 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 to say, right? So I give him the benefit of the doubt in it. But if there's only one thing that I would say is that is not severe enough a coach should be able to like sometimes you have to be hard on guys They they haven't back skated once this year not one punishing skate tony not one so again we could say say yeah that doesn't matter but you got to implement still discipline because if you don't over the years if you never do that guys they'll never have accountability you're Even- gonna you're going
0: to think I'm crazy what I'm going to say here, but I'm going to say it anyway, and I think deep down inside you're going to agree with me. I just don't know how I'm going to make my point across, though. Okay. Uh, coming down on guys, calling them out, bag skating them, is probably going to end up getting a reaction out of guys, and it's probably going to end up getting a reaction where they turn it around and they probably win games. Kent Hughes said something earlier this season, right? Um, winning, losing too many games is probably not a good thing, and winning too many games is probably not a good thing either. You know, like it's that's they're in a rebuild right now, and the last thing they want is uh, is to win games. Believe it or not, I mean, it's they know they don't have a cup team, they don't know (laughs) that they don't have a compet a contending team. They know they don't have a team to make the playoffs, and uh, so they don't want to be stuck
1: in no man's land. And you know, they'd rather. And this is what I think where they are. Okay, Tony, watch this. Okay, everybody listening to this point, so you guys can understand this very good. The Edmonton Oilers got the first pick how many years in a row? Three. Three. And every year, they were tanking, they were tanking, they were tanking, they were down the bottom. Even when we thought that with those young guys that a couple years, because like in Montreal, in Edmonton, they said in two, three years, they're going to be back on top because of all the first pick they got. You remember who they drafted though, right? Yes, but the thing yeah, is three centermen three years in a row, like yeah. that's not the smartest way to do it either. But but Tony, the culture in Edmonton with these guys was all about losing. They were so used to losing, they didn't knew they didn't know how to win, they didn't know adversity, they, there was no accountability, there was nothing. For years, ten years <laughs> in a row, they didn't make the playoff, despite having first pick and try to get players all over the place in montreal what people have to understand is that if there's no accountability and you don't teach the right habit to those young guys that in two three years supposed to take you to a playoff and maybe four or five a chance to win the cup it's never gonna happen okay you cannot put guys in a position that they're gonna lose say it's okay to lose showing them that it's okay to lose having no accountability while they're losing, even in a season that doesn't count, because they're going to keep those bad habits, Tony. And when it's going to be time to turn it on, they won't be able to do it. They won't be an example for the next coming kids that will look up to them. It's going to be a losing attitude. Yeah. And can break from that.
0: All right. Michel Terrier with the Pittsburgh Penguins. When he called them out, I really believe their goals is to be the worst defensive squad in the league. I mean, you know the the whole thing at the press conference, right? I want you to think of that Michel Terrier. I want you to think of John Tortorella screaming at André Roy the way he was. Uh, I, I want you to think of Mike Keenan yanking his players or yanking his goalies and tugging on their shirts, right? I want you to think of the late Pat Burns who said to Shane Corson, you can go mange la merde, okay? I want you to think of all these hard-nosed coaches of the last 20, 30 years in the National Hockey League, okay? They wouldn't be able to work in the National Hockey League very long nowadays, George, because the players nowadays, much like the younger generation nowadays, you come down hard on them. They don't react well, George. You have to be their friend. You have to be their psychologist. You have to be their buddy. You have to give them the tap on the back. You have to encourage them. You have to give them positive reinforcement. That's what this generation is nowadays. Okay, Tony, I don't think they would react to, to what you're talking Tony, about.
1: I'll tell you about two coaches, okay? Two coaches that I know well. Two coaches. Michelle Thierry Bob Hartley. They were not friends with their players. They were respected. They pressed the sisters as much as they could. They got the best out of the players. They have winning record everywhere they went. Everywhere they went, they were winning. They were not fun. To be around when you're a player, they were accountability. You couldn't cheat. They were hard at you. they were yelling at you. But you know what? They got the best out of the players. If Michelle Tyrion was the coach right now, this team would have at least seven more wins. Easy. Easy. Tony, and then it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter. I understand that. Anyway, but what I'm saying is that these guys, they know how to win. And they, they would modify their style a bit because you can't some of the stuff you can't say anymore you write but there's coach like michelle Therrien, um Bob artley guys like that they're that emotional they're motivational like those coach with team they're there for three four years max because that message after a year doesn't work because you really really hard on them eventually doesn't pass but when these guys are there especially with a young team guys are learning how to win They're learning good habits. They don't cheat. They go all out. And that's why with young team, coach like that, it's good. Coach that that are too mental, man, it doesn't work. At the end of the day, you're you're a motivator behind the bench. You're going to motivate your teams. You're going to yell at them when they make mistakes. You're going to make them accountable. And they have to know that if they fucked up, they're going to be yelled at. They're going to be embarrassed at sometimes. And then it'll force them to try harder. And I had I had Michel, I played 13 years in the NHL, Tony, and I had Michel, I had him as a coach. He was hard on me sometimes, but you know what? I understood it and I loved it. I won the Memorial Cup with him. I went to the Stanley Cup final with him. Like, he knows how to coach, he knows hockey. And you know what? He got the best out of everyone. and I have nothing bad to say about him. Some guys, yes, are more sensitive, but you know what? The NHL, to get there, you have to have a thick skin. You're in a competitor, you're going to war. And you have a guy behind the bench that is going to war too because his job's on the line as much as yours. He has to win, you have to win. You can get trade, you can get kicked out, you can get released. You have to perform. So as a coach does. So they do everything that they can to get this team to win. And that's why for a young team, I think it's good. And you ask me for Marty's weakness? I'm not sure he's, how he's going to be when this team's going to have to win, but he's going to have to have more accountability, be harder on these guys because if he suffers the guys in two, three years, they're never going to win anything because you yeah. have to be hard on guys to win totally.
0: Well, you know, I, I will say this though. I will say this and maybe he will be harder on guys when they're expected to win, but he made Mike Hoffman a healthy scratch. You probably didn't call him out, but he made him a healthy scratch and he told members of the media his play right now is just not good enough. Okay. Uh, he, uh, he made that and a healthy scratch. So I think he sent some messages anyway. Um, so that's his weakness. What's his strength?
1: Well, it's, it's communication with the guys is, 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 is obviously very good. Like you see how he's talking to all the guys and, 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 and the confidence, like Cofield was lost last year and his confidence when he got in, they got him back. You know, we were wondering one time if he was an NHL player when we sent him to the minors and he got him back on track because Ducharme played with his head. You know, the young guys, the the way that they're playing right now, you could see that under him, the development is good. The only guy that has lost a bit is Lovkovsky, but that's another story. But all the other young guys that you see, the young core of this team, Suzuki, man, like his confidence with Martin St. Louis, skyrocket and that's good because said we had so much success in the NHL that first of all, they they all look up to him. Even if he doesn't say anything because of the all career that he's had and he was a small player and he, and he beat the odds. It's it's like inspiring to these guys that are playing with the team. So it's easier to listen to him because he's done it. He's won. So they look up to him. They're like, okay, he's a good role model for us. Let's follow his lead. So that helps with experience. So it's communication with the guys and 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 finding their offensive touch. That's been really good because God knows how they were affected last year before Martin came in. So at least he got him in the right track. So then we could see that started to see the potential of our young guys for the future because of the work he's done with them.
0: All right. Uh, I want to move on a couple of more minutes here if we can. Uh, Logan Mayu had an interview with Anthony Martineau of TV Sport. I'm sure you saw it. Yes, I'm sure you even talked about it. What did you think?
1: You know what? I love Logan Mayu. F- fuck the past. Okay, what happened? Let's move on from it. He pays his dues for that. I never want to talk about that again. Logan Mayu right now is looking like a guy that's going to be playing the NHL next year. He is burning the Ontario League 36 points in 29 games. He's playing unbelievable. He's playing physical. He's fighting when he has to. He's a complete package. He could skate. He could do it all. He did a Michigan the other night for a hat-trick goal. And like to my to my memory, I haven't seen a defenseman do that. Like we saw forward, not defenseman. He is playing so well, he's so confident. I know that last year if he didn't get hurt, maybe he starts in Montreal this year. He's poised. I wouldn't be surprised only if he started Montreal next year. And a lot of people, like observers, when they're watching him play, they were saying that despite how good Goulet and all those young defensemen Montreal is, he's the best prospect in the man that the Canadian have. So I can't wait to see him next year. Yeah, I,
0: listen, <laughs> I thought that the hat-trick game was really something. I thought the Michigan for a six foot five 220 pound defenseman. I think that's something else too. Uh look, I know I'm gonna get chastised here if I don't say anything to you saying forget the past, because George, we can't forget the past. Having said that, I know you're not saying that with any disrespect to the victim at all. It's just that I know what you're where you're coming from, George, because you believe in second chances, I believe in second chances. You believe in people rehabilitating themselves. I believe in people rehabilitating themselves. You believe in people learning from mistakes and being able to, uh, you know, make a difference in life after that. And and hopefully Logan Mayu has learned from his terrible mistake that he made as a seventeen-year-old. And uh, you know, he was seventeen. It doesn't erase the fact that it was a bad mistake. And and obviously, we you know everyone feels for the victim, but. If you believe in second chances, well, you can't just you can't always come back to it either, right? You either believe in second chances, or you don't.
1: And well, so the guy, he paid his debt to society, and he talked about it, and he was remorseful, and he was part of a program also, and you know he's so young also, and and you know we've talked about it a lot. Just the fact that he asked the team not to draft him. He recognized how wrong he was, you know, and, and it's just that after a point, like you said, people have to earn a living, you know, you know, how many people in power right now, we could talk about how they've had second chances, people in politics that got second chances. There's so many people that we could talk to that we look look up to right now that had second chances and, you know, and it's fine, you know, and him, young kid, he did a terrible mistake. It's in the past. Paid his due for it. He was remorseful for it. Now he's trying to be a better human being. Now he's playing hockey. And I'm sure that his his entire career is going to compose himself as a role model now after what happened. He learned his lesson. And that's why I said, let's move on. Let's watch him play hockey. And And George, I'm going
0: to tell you something. And I know this sounds bad. But I'm going to say it anyway because this is the truth. This is the way it went down the canadians knew they were going to take heat for drafting logan mayu did they think that they were going to take as much heat as they took obviously not they thought that they were going to take um enough heat so that they could actually um they they could actually you know they would be able to weather the storm exactly okay yeah but i'm going to tell you this when they picked at 31 or whatever it is when they picked logan mayu um they thought they were getting a steal. They thought they were getting a top ten talent in the draft. And and they did. And and you know what? Um I, I spoke with somebody that was in that room that night who said to me, This guy in a couple of years is gonna replace Shea Weber. Yeah. And um right. It's crazy. Those are are big words because Shea Weber had an amazing career, but he's 6'5. He's 220. Uh, He shoots the puck harder than probably anyone in the National Hockey League right now. And
1: uh, Tony, you know, it's it's crazy because, because of the Montreal market, they shouldn't have drafted him. They shouldn't have known what would have happened. But at the same time, they did get the steal of the draft by getting him. And the guy, the guy that got him, the guys that got him are gone. So now the new management are there. Give him a second chance. They didn't draft him, and it's okay. It's the best, they're in the best position right now, and you have to steal. So it's weird, but it's going to end up working out for the team.
0: I hear you. Uh, Lane Hudson, based on what you've seen, based on what you've heard, uh, he's in the discussion for the Holby Baker.
1: What do you think? Man, I'm looking at his numbers that are actually better than car like he's growing too. He started 5'8 last year. He's 5'10 now. Tony, man, Montreal have so many great prospects at D-man. We know they can use them all. They can't all be in the NHL, but there's one thing for sure. Whatever one they're going to want to keep and the one they're going to want to trade, they're all such high value that they're going to be able to get great players they're like great wingers to be up front because they're loaded with great young D-men and this decision's going to come next year. Which one do we keep? Which one do we want? Because they can't have them all. But it's impressive because if, and it looks like it will be, Hudson and just Mayu, these two guys living up to potential, you put them in Montreal with Goulet, then you know that you know there's gonna to be too many defensemen, and that's a great problem to have because it gives you a chance to add asset up front
0: last one, and then I'm gonna let you go thanks so much uh George thirty minutes bro Larac all right you're not laughing yet are you laughing <laughs> Yes' <I was> laughing <laughs> all right i i wanna I wanna finish with the Edmonton orders they're your former team like the Canadians. the last time you were on a week ago, I asked you if you gave them input on Edmondson you said Tony look. Anyone, anytime anyone asks me about a player, I'm not going to lie to them. I'm going to tell them what I think. Yeah. And without putting words in your mouth, you basically said, buyer beware on Joel Edmondson, bad back. He's in a downward spiral. The injuries have got the better of him, and he's no longer the defenseman that he used to be. Correct? Is that fair yeah. enough? Yes. Okay. The Oilers are still out there when it comes to interest in Joel Edmondson. Pierre Lebrun tells us, The Oilers and the LA Kings are the two teams that are the most interested. I know you told Edmonton what you told Edmonton. Do you think they're still going to go out and go
1: for it? No, I I don't think so, Tony. And Tony, I could tell you that uh, the other day I saw Superman flying out uh, out of my house. You don't know. Oh, George said it. It must be true. Yeah, I could say anything. It's easy. Oh, yeah. I know this. I know that. I could tell you for a fact only that it's not going to happen. He's not going to Edmonton. For a fact? He's not going to Edmonton. He's not going to Edmonton. No, he's not going to Edmonton. So um, I, I, I don't know where he gets his info from. But uh, Edmonton, right now, the last thing that they need is to get a guy that is hurt, have, having back problems, because Things are so hard right now. They they're fighting for playoff spot. Imagine if they were to go get a demon that they get need so bad. He gets hurt when they already know that he has a bad back history, and they're gonna go and do that. They inquire about it, and they know, and they're gonna take a chance because, of course, if Edmonton goes to Edmonton, he's gonna want to play every game, and they just got him. They're fighting for spot, but the thing is, is that. The way he's, like, he's one of the worst in the league for plus minus. And the reason why is because he's clearly not 100%. And and Emerson not at 100% is a bad D-man. And the Oilers is having so much trouble with Campbell right now. Are you going to really take a gamble at the deadline for D-man that his back is done? That can be 100% when you need a a really good top two D-man to help you make the playoff?
0: Hey, knowing okay. there's going to be several wingers who are no longer going to be Montreal Canadiens at the end of the season, at the very latest, and I'm talking about Wait. Dadunov and Drouin, Wait. would
1: you take a you... flyer on Yarvey, or do you think he's a flop? Hold on, did you say that there's some wingers that will be gone at the deadline from the Montreal Canadiens? Did you no. say no?
0: I didn't say at the deadline. I said knowing that at the very latest, they'll be gone at the end of the season. Oh, okay, because okay. if they can't trade Drouin and they can't trade Datanov at the end of the year, they're just going to let them go, right? Yes. So knowing there's going to be some wingers that will be gone at the end of the year and they won't be back with the Canadians. My last question here in 30 seconds, would you take a flyer on Paul Yarby or do you think he's a flop? He's a flop.
1: Listen, Paul Yarvey in Edmonton, he said that he didn't know. He said publicly, listen to this, Tony he didn't know what his identity was he didn't know how to play hockey anymore he said that publicly are you kidding me the guy said that and I'm like are you, like what's wrong with you like you don't know like you don't know what your identity is your identity is what you make of it they like you know he went to finland he he got back to the Oilers and he looked he looked really good that the year that he got back and now he looks like he's lost and the thing is yeah, he's a good project and then I think to try to see if they could get him going. But project, Tony, it's always suspect. Montreal is such in a great position right now with all the prospects that they have and the young D. You know, look at all the bad veterans all they were all they rotten in this lineup. Don't take a chance on a suspect. Go with sure deals. think that you're sure. Not things that are not working elsewhere, hoping that it's going to work there. Because if you make a bad decision on another lengthy contract again, look how hard it is. There's some contract in Montreal that was scratching their head about how we're going to be able to get rid of them. Don't go get the RV, man.
0: Thanks, Come George. On. Appreciate it, buddy. Have a great night. We'll talk to you again next week, okay? Thanks, All right. There you have it. Big George Larac. Uh, From one great collaborator to another, Mitch Jaguer, you saw him last week. We brought him back tonight. How you doing, buddy?
3: I'm doing good. What about you?
0: Well, I'm very happy to talk to you tonight. I'm doing okay. Thank you. Um, because, of course, you have a lot of experience in coaching. You've been doing it for a very, very long time. You were an assistant coach in the KHL last year. You're helping out the women's team uh, with the Catabin this year. Uh, so, once again, you know a thing or two about coaching. It's Marty St. Louis. It's the one-year anniversary that he was hired from the Montreal, by the Montreal Canadiens as head coach uh, with the interim tag last year, which obviously they removed in the off-season, and is the head coach this year. One year later, I asked George maybe some of the weaknesses, and then I asked him for a strength. The weakness, he said, was he doesn't think he calls out players enough. He thinks he lets them off the hook. And, uh, for example, he doesn't bag-skate them, uh, doesn't call them out, and he he says he believes players need to be accountable when they're not bringing it. He would have liked to have seen Marty St. Louis call out players in terms of his strengths, obviously talked about the respect that he has from all the guys in the locker room. Can you give me a different weakness and can you give me a different strength?
3: Uh, Weakness. I think George is, he's right at certain points, uh, meaning that you see some players that are just lack of work ethic doesn't work. And they're still playing a lot of minutes. And on the flip side, uh, I think he's not really playing with his lines or with the players. I mean, uh, a couple of games ago, they played 11 forwards, meaning you can flip some of the players who's hot and who's cold. And this is how we kind of uh, found um, Harvey Pinard on the first line and he had such a great breakout game that game. Uh, but I think he could probably start coaching a bit more But is in a position that right now, I think George said it too, they they don't have to win. So it's a bit different. And the tread deadline is coming, meaning who's making the decision for the lineup? Who's making the decision on who's going to play? That's the biggest question mark at the moment. Uh, And obviously down the road... Uh, with the pressure from the Montreal Canadian, because they cannot lose like that for 2, 3, 4 years, no matter if we're seeing their rebuild, rebuild, tank, tank, tank. That, it doesn't work like that in Montreal. It's going to be a year or two, and after that, if you do not start winning, uh, you might be in big trouble. So from there, my question is, how Marty is going to be able to respond to that? Because if you're whoever it is, second, pl- second line player doesn't work hard, what you're gonna do? Are you gonna try to create something? Call him out? Uh, send him on the bench? Put in on in, in the stands? How is gonna be the communication with him? So I think that's that's one of his weaknesses from game and aging, like meaning just trying to play a little bit more with the players. Uh, obviously, we saw him putting uh, sending Hoffman in the stand, but I think
1: that enough too.
3: that, and off too. that enough, enough to, and off too he did that enough two uh but the new reality too is like i remember at the start of the season marty saying i will not uh what did he said about that enough he knows how to play hard or work hard so i'm not going to tell him how to do it i just say look wake up or something like that so that communication skill is is big for him but he has to be careful about what to say or, or or what to not to say so I just think it's it's game-wise his is biggest challenge at the moment uh, and down the road when it's going to be important to win uh, because he, he's still young. He, can he have some better coaches with him? Maybe, maybe not. We've talked about it last time. Uh, but I think he can always surround himself with some older coaches with more experience just to have another point of view, I'll say. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I'll say that's for me, that's probably his biggest weaknesses uh, at the moment. In practice, it's totally different. I had a chance to to stop by in the morning before going to the uh, Montreal University and watch some practices. And he's like, he's calm, but he doesn't have to be loud mm-hmm. because everyone is just watching him and just hearing him and listening to him. And they're, they, they, he doesn't have to, you know, because now, the pro players, they, they don't ask why. They ask, how can I be better for most of them? Because if they were better, they, they have more points, more goals, more ice, whatever it is, their next contract is going to be, be bigger. So that's that's one thing that is really important. So players going to ask, how? How can I be better? So when I stopped by the Montreal uh, uh, practice facility at Brossard, mm-hmm. you can see we really taking care of the whole squad Talking with them and probably more than any other pro coaches, he's just taking the time to tell them what he wants, how he wants it, and if it doesn't work, he will take the time to show it because obviously we've seen so many clips on on Twitter, Facebook, social media that he's sometimes he's, he's in the drill showing it. Like you, you know you you love that drill with, with that video I, I said uh with Caulfield. You know what? He's faking the clapper, getting inside, power play yep. goal. And a couple of weeks ago, he, he, Caulfield did the same. But he's he's able to do it. So players, just like, they're amazed. They're blown away. Uh, so his communication skill, obviously, is a big part. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing we don't know. What did he say one-on-one in his office, in the locker room? Maybe he's calling out the players in the locker room. Uh, things that we we, we don't know and how big it is to call him out, out there on the newspaper, uh, RDS, whatever it is, it doesn't, probably doesn't work anymore. But like George said,
0: with Michel Therrien and Bob Art. Like, don't forget TVS spot, please. TVS spot, spot. spot, yeah,
3: like TSN, all yeah. of them. No, no uh, just,
0: don't worry about the rest. Just worry okay, about okay. TVS spot and BPS spot, BPM Spar. TVS spot TBS, yeah, don't worry about, TBS yeah,
3: TBS and BPM. And okay. But Bob, Bob was the same in, in, in the KHL. Like He's not a friend with anyone. And, and don't get me wrong. There's different types of coaches. Um, the head coach of the Lightning Tampa Bay is the same. He's so calm, close to the players. John so Cooper, yeah. Yeah, John Cooper is an amazing guy. But let's take Bob. I had a chance to know him. We chat quite a bit, and uh, he helped me a lot in the KHL. He's not a friend with the their players. But he really cares, and he will try to get the best out of them. In almost any ways he can. Obviously, in Russia, you can say things that they don't understand. That's another story. But it's all it's just trying to find the fine line. But his communication skill is so good mm-hmm. that I think it will help him down the way big time more than anything else. Because at the end of the day, that guy played everywhere, did everything, was not was not supposed to be there, was not supposed to play there. And he's one of the best forward to play the game.
0: All right. Uh, no, so you're, you're you're right about that. And it's a very, very good point. What would you say his, uh, you know, when you talked about, you you talked about dropping by and watching his practices, right? What do you think of the fact that he's a really strong believer in a lot of small-sided games, a lot of work done in very, very tight spaces so that you can exercise the hockey brain a lot so that you have to make decisions very, very quickly, and he believes by playing sh- small-sided games as well, your reaction time, you're reacting very fast. If you can get out of tight spaces, become a smarter hockey player, become a better hockey player. What do you, what do you believe in his way of seeing the game, his philosophy? Is, is he sees it as puck possession? He sees it as, you know, um, if you lose the puck, try and get it back right away. He sees it as, um. You know, trying to play a very cerebral game. He he's, he sees it as more of a an instinct when it comes to offense and less of uh, you know, uh pre planned of, you know, dumping it in and chasing it and going to get it. Uh your thoughts on the way Marty Saint Louis sees the game?
3: Well, the smaller games is it's is so good, meaning like I do smaller games for years now like decades because you can work basically everything you want within that smaller area of games and we we have to think that marty is not doing like a 90 minutes smaller area game in like one half of the of the zone or it, it, it's not like that it's just like he call it in French concept, concept uh so in English concept i guess I don't know what the word he was using for but meaning that okay you have Let's say on rushes, what we want for, let's say, a one-on-one, two-on-one, three-on-one, but not, okay, we should dump and chase, we should crisscross, we should uh, delay. It's just about rules or fundamentals that from there, everyone will be on the same page. And from there, everyone can use their instinct, read and react and make the best play out of it. That's the biggest difference with him. Then coaches, okay, three on two, we should try to go across and F2 middle lane drive and F3 just pop out. Or, you know, it, it's, it's a bit different. The other thing too with Marty is uh, you will ch- like is pre-scout and the way we'll talk about the opponent is not, okay, guys, let's say, let's take a, a four check. You will not try to show, okay, that's a one, two, two, four check. So here's F1 uh, flushing down the wall, locking here's f2 you're holding the dot lane and you're backing up f3 he will not go like that you will say okay here's they're playing 122 two, they have f1 there f2 there f3 they're backing up this is it now here's what we're going to do and now they're talking about how let's say uh, the Winnipeg Jets got beat uh in that uh 122 two. so he's showing clips okay they did this and this and blah so now players have an overview of okay what can we do to beat them and not okay it has to be this it has to be that we have to think no here's all the options here's how they got beat the last couple of games and try to make the best decision out of it when you have the puck so that mentality is just different and and if we remember a couple of years ago when the, mm-hmm. uh, the st louis blues won the cup um, I had that clip. It's on my Twitter, by the way. And uh, they were talking about the mentality of the Blues. And it was hang into the uh, hang onto the puck. So they were trying to keep the puck as long as possible when they do not have options. Because now a lot of teams, is jump and chase. You don't have place it and try to, you know, we'll see what happened. But then it was, okay, low to high, try to take the middle, no options. Or somebody's in the shooting lane. Don't force the play. Backboard. We're going to create a battle because they have F two on the on the outside post. It's going to be first. We're going to retrieve it. We're going to have a second quick. We're going to support, but we will still maintain possession of the puck. So that's the mentality Marty's tried to bring with them because it was a lot of uh, I'll call it junior, but it's not because of Desharn. Of but mm-hmm. dump and chase. Establish your forecheck. Uh, speed. Finishing hits but the reality it's hockey. It's like that only in the playoffs, but you still have a long way to go and you, you still need to have a team that is able and capable of playing that way. So just to go back to your question and practice, Marty is just taking a lot of time to give them a lot of options so they can read and react and figure it out on, okay, I, I feel comfortable to do this or that. And, more instinct uh, than just, okay, like I said, F2 always to be like that. Mm, yes, but sometimes no. So try to make the best decision. And obviously working smaller your gains, you have more puck touches, more skating, whatever it is, skating, tight turns, punch turn, uh, pivots backwards, more shots, more passes, more skills, more communication, heads up. There's so much more stuff that you can work on. On man breakouts, power play, PK games, breakouts, rush, transition, uh, one timer—you can. There's sky's limit, so Mm -hmm. you work on skills, but you you work on the game as well. The fine line is doing too much, and at the moment, I can say he's not doing too much. Players are getting better every single day. The only thing is they don't have a good team at the moment no they, they don't have, have
0: a very deep team and, 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 and yeah, they have yeah. two
3: players that are going to be traded or just release it so it's just yeah. trying to work with the players that for, for the future that really want to stay and they're gonna the, the players that they want to probably won the stanley cup with them
0: yeah i i think the one area in which i've seen that it's been a little bit difficult uh in the one year that marty saint louis has been the coach of the Canadians, which by the way i give him a passing grade and by far because Uh, I think there's a lot Uh, of strengths. Okay. I think there's a lot of strengths. Number one, uh, he's, he was able to turn Caulfield around, right? What he was able to do for Caulfield's game. Absolutely. Fantastic. That's number one. Number two, I find they're much less predictable in the way they attack. Uh, Number three, he obviously has the respect of all the players in that locker room. Number four, I think his practices are very, very high tempo. Um, you know, they are. And, and 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 I mentioned this earlier tonight on TVS Sport. And you know, it's not a prerequisite. The coach doesn't have to be a classy guy or doesn't have to be a good man. But I believe if you're the coach of the Montreal Canadiens, I believe you have to be. And Marty Saint Louis is a very, very good man. He's a very, very classy individual. Uh I, I think he's a I think he's a modern day thinker. I think he I think he thinks outside the box. I think he's very, very analytical in his approach. So I I think he's got tons of strengths, and I think he's going to end up making a heck of a coach. Where I think he struggled in the last year, Mitch, is I think the Canadians have 11 bench minor penalties in the year that he's been the head coach of the Canadians. And that's a lot of bench minor penalties. I believe that's the second most in the National Hockey League just after Arizona. And, um, you know, sometimes it looks like it goes a little bit fast, in terms of the line changes, they've been caught with too many men on the ice a ton of times. And look, I, I think with time and on the job and repetition and and uh you know, he's gonna get better at that, right? At that one point he's gonna be he's gonna be yeah. quicker, he's it, gonna be faster. Fast. Yeah.
3: I, I remember myself like two years ago, I was was coming back from Winnipeg, got a job at university, and with the COVID, I didn't really coach. Uh got the job in the KHL, and my first practice on the ice, I think I never talked about it, but, uh, like, I was I was supposed to be the video guy only, and uh, first day there, like, I didn't sleep for 36 hours, and the coach said, where's your skate? So, uh, so I didn't bring them, and say, well, you're a coach, you'll go on the ice. Okay, so practice was probably 45 minutes, and honestly, Tony, I was standing right in the middle, the center ice face-off, right on the dot. I didn't move there because I was like, what's going on here? Like, I was shaking. I was goosebumps. I was like, that's so fast. And when I did my first game behind the bench, I was like, wow. Okay, that's that's not junior. That's not university. That's beyond and above. So, I totally understand what, what you said right now, that Marty is more experienced. So, that's why I was saying, too, like, when it's going to be about winning, you cannot allowed that thing but the question is out of 11 how many of them was like was most of them on the five on five or after a power play because you you know sometimes yeah um, yeah, i'm not sure yeah but you you know what i mean sometimes you have four forwards and someone somebody forgot so i could understand five on five like sometimes you call the lines and players are just puck watching somebody else is coming from back checking from behind and they're not watching, they're going miscommunication on the bench. And so sometimes that could be this, but 11, that's, that's no excuses. That's, that's a lot because especially their PK is not awesome. So it's probably five or six goal against and doesn't look good
0: uh playground over 600 machines poker tournaments and playground casino games daily promotions and unmatched customer service why go anywhere else located just over the mercy bridge only minutes from downtown montreal uh there's uh there's talk that cf montreal by the way has acquired a player it was a hometown boy i'm going to talk to you about him in just a minute but in this final minute here with mitch jaguar mitch the canadians it was about ten days off by the time they play their next game, That's which wild. is going to be Saturday afternoon when they host the New York Islanders at twelve thirty in the afternoon, and then Sunday they host Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Orders. So, you know, when they come back to practice one week later, so you've been off for a week. Mostly, everyone went down south. They went away. They went on vacation. When you come back, what do you do? What What's the the, the one thing? The point of emphasis in terms of practice for the couple of days that they come back before they play their first game on the weekend
3: there's different coaches like I know a lot of coaches gonna push them so hard like okay get back on track and has to be like before uh on my end and we were it was the same in the KHL by the way because we I we had like three times almost a full week off for the world championship or any other reason and the first practice was first thing first getting back on the ice feeling the ice And it was all about flow and pacing drill. Uh, We try to push them as much as possible, but uh, not like in a battle situation, 50 50 breakouts. It was just flow, pace, trying to push them. And starting the second day, uh, now we were creating a lot of battles, a lot of uh, retrieval, 50 50 battles, uh, going back into the system concepts uh, because we we don't have a lot of time before the the next game. And uh, it's all about. At the pro level, it's all about how the players feel as well. Mm-hmm. So obviously, you want them to get back in shape, but you don't want to push them too hard for injuries and, and stuff like that. So uh, the first day, it's just go back on the ice, whistle, not a lot of teaching. And from there, the second day, you, you just go back is the same way as the the, the week before with, with your practice game preparation video and and, and all that stuff.
0: All right, uh, great contributions by you. Thank you very much. I very much look forward to talking to you again next week. I thought you brought it again tonight as usual, Mitch. We'll talk to you. Thank you, Tony. Tony. You're very welcome. All right, okay. Thank you very much. All right, Uh, tonight, uh, earlier tonight at six thirty-seven p.m., there was a tweet that went out that already has over almost forty-one thousand views. All right, and the tweet was from a gentleman uh, by the name of David Van Den breck i believe who is a journalist out of uh out of belgium and uh, he wrote something and uh thank god for um google translation here and he wrote hashtag antwerp this is it okay if we can see it here there you go there you go all right see that okay jules anthony vilsain 20 the Canadian striker returns to his home country and signs in the MLS with the Montreal CF, CF Montreal, of course, of Olivier Renard and Hernan Lozada. The great old will let it go for free, but negotiate a percentage on the resale, okay? So that was the tweet, okay? And, uh, you know, once I saw that, Uh, I tweeted, according to this report, striker Jules Anthony Vilsain has joined CF Montreal. It's about time they listened to me, I wrote. Why? Because back on, back in 2012, so 11 years ago, uh, I tweeted this. The best player I have seen in Montreal is Jules Anthony Vilsain. Nine-year-old playing up with U10 Delta Laval. The kid has it all. Uh, I was really happy when I read this report tonight. Um, I was really, really happy to see this. Um, I've known uh, this young man for quite some time, and I'm going to tell you my, my quick story. So um, he's a 2003 born, and my eldest is a 2003 born. So um, they were both playing one year up. Jules Anthony Volsaint was playing with Delta Laval, and my son Anthony was playing with uh, Lakeshore. And um, Anthony's team went to a tournament in Quebec. And uh, I started, you know, reading up on the teams that were going to be there. And um, I had heard about this young boy who played for Delta Laval by the name of Jules Anthony Vilsay that at pretty much every tournament that he was going to he was lighting it up and I did a lot of research on him and every time there's a player that has a lot of talent I'm you know I'm I'm interested I want to see what they're doing I want to see how they're doing it I want to see how they play I want to see them for myself with my very own eyes so this tournament's in Quebec City and we go to this tournament and um, so Jules Anthony Vilsay's team uh, beats my son's Lakeshore team by a score of six to nothing, and uh, Jules Anthony scored a couple of goals in that game. One of which came from pretty much midfield, on on a rocket of a shot that just sailed over the goalie's head. He had a really really strong shot right then and there, as young as nine years old. And so uh, that was that. And then at the end of the game, I leave. And uh, I'm a little bit hungry, and I walk into a restaurant to get a bite to eat. And there's this gentleman who approaches me, and he says to me, "Hey, you're the guy on uh, Sanzis Procin, or at the time it was Lataka Sang Television." And I said, "Yes, I'd like I'd like to introduce myself." And I said, "I know exactly who you are. Your name is Jules Saint, who's his dad." And you're the father of Jules Anthony, we'll say. And I know how well he's been doing in tournaments and stuff like that. And uh, he looked at me and he goes, yeah. So anyway, um, when he left, um, you know, we were in the parking lot together. And I said to him, I said, you you know, your son's a, he's a, he's a phenomenal talent. He's excellent. And, uh, and he said, thank you very much. And he was with his wife. And, uh, and I said, you're very, very welcome and uh, all the best to your son. Um, little while later, uh, I got word that, you know, there was going to be, there was a group from Montreal that was going to be bringing kids um, in the 2002 age group to Spain and Portugal to play in a very prestigious youth tournament. And the second I found out about it, I felt like this kid's family needed to know about it because I felt like that kid needed to be there. And so I, um, I called their coach. He gave me the dad's number. I called the dad and I said, look, I said, I met you that day in Quebec city. And, and, uh, I found out that there's going to be a youth tournament in Portugal and in Spain, and uh, there's going to be tryouts that are taking place. And, uh, I, you know, I think you should bring your son to the tryouts because, uh, you know, there's no doubt that he he's going to belong in that tournament. He's a he's a terrific, terrific player. And uh, he said thank you very much. And uh, he brought his son uh, to the tryout. Um, I brought my son to the tryout as well. And as it turns out, they they both played for a Montreal team uh, at this Mundialito tournament. Um, they played both of them um, their first year. I believe they were ten. And the second year, I believe they were 11. So they played two years in a row. So I had a chance to see uh, this young boy do his stuff. And I hope we have some of the images here. But I saw him score many goals in these two tournaments. And this one here is versus the Glasgow Rangers Academy. Versus boys one year older than him. There you have it. Fakes the shot with his right. Puts it on his left. And he buries it and take a look at this take a look at the celebration as you can see this boy not only has talent this boy has personality and he has a love for the game that's one of them versus the very reputable glasgow rangers academy this one here the following year versus the fc barcelona academy we lost this game by a score of 10 to 1 that's our long goal did you see it what a rocket Takes a very special player to score a goal versus Barcelona's academy because you don't get too many chances versus Barcelona. Did you see where he put that ball? We're t- he's eleven years old. He put it under the seven, top corner, and one more. Why not? Versus Sporting Clube do Portugal. This is the same academy that Cristiano Ronaldo grew up playing in. And there you have it. We lost that game by a score of four to one. I believe that goal narrowed the lead to 2-1 at the time. We lost by a score of 4-1, but there's another big goal. So Barcelona's academy, Lionel Messi grew up in Barcelona's academy, Sporting Club de Portugal. Like I said, Cristiano Ronaldo grew up, and those are great academies with great players. And you know what? He was just as good as the best of them. So now I'm going to say this. uh, I've seen a lot of youth soccer, Right. Uh, having two boys, myself, a 2003 and a 2005. And, you know, they both ended up playing one year up at times. So I would see them play with the 2002s and I would see one play with the 2004s. I've watched a lot of games, not to mention that a lot of people have golf as their pastime. You know what? They'll go out a couple of days a week. They'll spend five, six hours on a golf course. Well, I don't play golf. I do like to watch soccer. So even when my boys are not playing, I can go out on a weekend and I can go from one park to another park, watch a couple of games. And the next thing you know, when the summer's all said and done, I probably watch about 20 games a piece that my boys play in. And I probably watch another 30 or 40 that other boys or girls play in. So I've seen a lot of players and I've seen a lot of games, especially here in the province of Quebec, the three players that, that, made me melt the first time I watched them play soccer that kind of like just you know captivated my heart were Jean-Yves Balutabla who's a 1999 born Ishmael Coney who played for CF Montreal last season which they sold uh, to Watford for about eight million euros he's a 2002 born and Jules Anthony Volsain. now I've seen a lot of great players in Quebec or very good players in Quebec but these three players, they were difference makers. They had talent, they had both feet, right foot, left foot. Jules Anthony Vilsane's if you he's a natural right footer, but you would never know it. His left foot is just as good. Uh, these three players had X factors, right? They all they, they all had something different than other players. This, of course, is in my humble opinion, and it's with all due respect to all the players that have ever played amateur soccer here in Quebec. So, you know, I saw Jules Anthony say, as young as nine years old. I saw him do great things with Delta Laval for a couple of years. He went on, he played with different clubs. Um, he played with a private academy. And then I saw him, um, I saw him represent the region of Concordia um, back in Les Jutes, Quebec. Um, Les Jutes, Quebec and his Concordia team won the Jutz Quebec. He scored 12 goals in four games, including two in the final versus the South Shore, Sud in a 2-1 win. And his second goal was a free kick that was taken probably about 35 yards out, as close to the sideline as you can get, probably within a foot from the sideline. And he lined up. It was on the right side. He lined up and he took it with his second foot, his left foot, about 35 yards out. And he put it right in the top corner. Not a lot of players can do that. Uh, I saw him play a game where I believe his team won something like seven to one. I believe he was playing for Panolinos and I believe they beat St. Laurent was probably seven, one or eight, one or whatever it was. I think he scored five goals by himself. It was unbelievable. I saw him play a game versus NDG. The game was tied at two NDG tied it up. with about three minutes left in the game or four minutes left in the game. And he took the ball right off the kickoff. And instead of passing it to his teammate, he kicked the ball and he put it, right over the goalie's head. This is off the kickoff. And they won the game by a score of 3-2. to two. Um, he, he led his team. He was a catalyst in, in helping his team uh, finish second place in the league championship, which was good enough to qualify for the Canadian Nationals because they were taking place uh, in Montreal. And so when you're the host city, the top two teams make it. His team got to the final versus Woodbridge. Um, Ultimately, they lost. Uh, He was playing through an injury. He was still really, really good. And he was controlling the midfield. So, you know, I've seen him control the midfield. I've seen him play either wing. I've seen him play six. I've seen him play eight. I mean, he can play any position. I've even seen this kid play in goal. He's a natural athlete. That's right. I saw him play goalkeeper for a tournament. It was unbelievable. And uh, long story short, um, a couple of years ago, I went to a CF Montreal game and he happened to be there with his dad and I crossed paths with them. And I saw an agent who's based out of Quebec. And I said, I want to introduce you to this player. Uh, This player, in my opinion, is going to be, you know, one of, he's going to be a Canadian sensation. And this kid is going to play pro and uh, he's going to end up playing for our national team one day. And the agent looked at him and said, who do you play for? And he told him, well, I play for panelinos here in Quebec. And, uh, and it ended there. Um, He has very, very supportive parents, great parents who have made tremendous sacrifices for him to get where he's at and to live his dream. And they, um, you know, when uh, no one was calling, and no national program was calling, uh, they went out of their way and they brought him to Portugal and he trained in Portugal and he was just, you know, practicing and, and, and stuff like that. And you know what? He, uh, he caught the attention of Sporting Clube do Portugal, who uh, offered him a tryout. And uh, he was there for, uh, you know, about a week and a half before they gave him the green light. And they said, we'd like to have you in our academy. And then at one point, I think COVID hit, he made his way back home and he ended up getting himself to Lille and he was with the reserves of Lille. He played, um, you know, a game with them about a week after he was there. And I think in the first 15 minutes that he played, I think he scored a couple of goals. So uh, Lille said, no, no, you're staying here. And he stayed at Lille for a while. Then there was a change with their president. And so a few things that were on the table, were no longer on the table. He ends up going to Royal Antwerp in Belgium because his former coach with Lille had a connection there who put him on the Jules Anthony radar, and they fell in love with Jules Anthony uh, Vilsain. So he goes to Antwerp, and he ends up playing for their U21 team a year ago. Uh, This past season, he starts playing with their U23 team, And he got a little phased out of the system over there. And sometimes that's just the way it works when you're a Canadian player. uh, It's not always easy going overseas because organizations have their preference. Players that were there before you, maybe players coming in, and it's hard to take a spot of one of the players that was there. He got a little phased out. But, um, you know, (laughs) it's funny because last year, uh, I was I was at a CF Montreal um, reserve team game. My son was, was playing in the game, and uh, Jules Anthony Vilsaint's father happened to be there at the game. And so I went over, and I said hello. And as I said hello, uh, Olivier Renard was walking in our direction, and I said, Olivier, I'd like to introduce you to this gentleman. His name is Jules Vilsaint, and his son is Jules Anthony Vilsaint, and he plays with uh, Royal Antwerp's reserve team. And uh, they had a conversation and, um, you know, I'm not saying it started because of that, because I'm sure that uh, he uh, he uh, he knew of him for sure. And he must have, you know, I don't know if he was on his radar back then, but I'm happy that uh, he's on his radar now. This news today made me very, very happy. Um, um, it took something to make me happy because today was a very, very tough day uh, for many Montrealers. There was a lot of bad news that came out of Laval. And, um, and so... Um, this was able to cheer me up a bit because Jules Anthony say is coming home and uh my message to the media is this even though i hyped this young man up and i hyped up this player by telling you that i think he's one of the three most talented players i've ever seen in quebec um let's not demand too much right away okay uh let's uh take our time see if montreal is uh um, they're going younger. They're giving young players a chance. Um, it's going to be difficult, I think, for them to get the results they got a year ago with the team that they have and the amount of changes that they had. But uh, we know what their philosophy is. They want to give young players a chance to put themselves on the map and uh, and uh, to bring up their value and uh, at one point be able to move them to something bigger and better. So uh, let's be patient with them let's not put too much pressure on him. Uh, he's an incredible talent. Um, he's, he's going to have a good support staff. Uh, once again, I talked to you about his, his family, very, very supportive. Uh, they're very, very tight. Um, he loves soccer. He loves to play the game and he's at peace when he's on the field. And, uh, uh, I'm gonna be going to more CF Montreal games going forward because uh when Jules Anthony Vilsane was a kid, I used to get out to watch as many of his games as possible. And now that he's with CF Montreal, I'm gonna get out to watch as many games as possible. So um he's uh this is um this is this is a great signing. Uh a very talented player is coming home. And um that's always fun. And um I wish him all the best. I haven't uh, uh haven't seen him in a while uh, but uh I'm looking forward to seeing him on the pitch and uh you know, I I wish him all the best. And all the best uh, CF Montreal and all the best to all of you. So, uh thank you for watching, thank you for listening. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. A shout out to SportsBuffShop.com uh, for all your sports licensed lifestyle apparel, including hoodies, caps, and T-shirts of your favorite teams from all major leagues. And use code six ten 10 for 10% off on all of their items. There you have it at SportsBuffShop.com. And if they're going to have a CF Montreal jersey, well, I'm going to order one of Jules Anthony Vilsain, but I'm going to have to wait because I don't know what number he's going to wear. Um Great news that was. Once again, thanks everyone for watching. Tomorrow night, guess who's coming on the program? The WWE is coming to town next week. The Undertaker is going to have his one-man show next week on Thursday. WWE SmackDown is next week on Friday. And, you know, the Saturday, and a couple of Saturdays from now, it's going to be WWE's Elimination Chamber. And in the main event, it's going to be Roman Reigns' versus Montreal's very own Sammy Zane. Sammy Zayn will join me on the SICK podcast tomorrow night. And if all goes well, Mapper Marc-Andre Perot will join me right after that. It's an appointment, weeknights, 10 p.m., the SICK podcast. Same time, same place, on YouTube Live, Twitter Live, Facebook Live. If you watched it tonight and enjoy the program, message SICK, S-I-C-K. If you like it, like it. And if you're going to listen to more on Google, Apple, or Spotify, leave us a five-star review. Tell your friends about it. Say the podcast is pretty sick. And Marinero gave us a pretty good scouting report on a young player by the name of Jules Anthony Vilsain. Who's that, you say? You know, the guy from the sick podcast. Who am I? I'm Marinero
2: and that's a wrap hope you don't miss us too much until next time follow the sick podcast with tony marinero on youtube instagram facebook google play and apple podcasts the sick podcast is brought to you by energy transportation group driven to be different la b.tb embrace your true nature and Lakaj. If the last time you went to Lakaj was when the Habs won the cup, it's time you went back to Lakaj. The menu will surprise you.